0: and welcome again to the 49ers Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Al Moriello. And this week, we're going to break down the ugly Sunday night loss at Denver, talk about that it's time to free Jimmy and what that means, Uh, and then dive into the week for Monday night contest where San Francisco hosts the Rams. In the plus section, I'll give thoughts on three interesting NFL games this week why New York Yankees center fielder Aaron Judge can thank his uniform that he wears just as much as his stats for his MVP caliber season, and we will conclude by making week four NFL picks. So let's get started. Let's talk Niners! And it was an ugly loss, an ugly game overall, where Denver... Eeks out an 11-10 win in, you know, one of the ugliest games in, in recent memory. And unfortunately, it was nationally televised for everyone to partake in. You know, overall, uh, between the two teams, yards and first downs were basically even. San Francisco did have three turnovers um, and Denver did control the clock with more than nine minutes in time of possession. Looking at the stats, Jimmy went 18 for 29, 211 yards, one touchdown, one interception, one fumbled snap that could be shared, I would think, equally between um, the center, Jake Brendel and um, Jimmy. Um, He had a bad safety, which we'll talk about. And on the flip side, Wilson didn't fare much better. Um, Actually, he probably fared the same. 20 of 33, 184 yards, no touchdown or picks, and some bad accuracy issues. Running the ball, Jeff Wilson Jr. got the start due to the injuries in front of them. He went 15 for 75, a good 5-yard per carry average, but did have a fumble on the last drive as San Francisco was trying to get into field goal range. Uh, Rookie free agent, um, undrafted free agent Jordan Mason, only one carry for seven yards. We'll talk about that. Debo Samuel, five carries for six yards. We'll talk about that too. In Denver, a lot more balance. So Williams went 15 for 58. Melvin Gordon, 12 for 26. And and, uh, Russell Wilson, excuse me, six for 17. Not designed runs. They were more breaking the pocket when things broke down. And that's, I think, a note that Kyle Shanahan should take next year for when Trey Lance is healthy receiving Debo led the 49ers with five receptions for 73 yards Brandon Iuke three for 39 and a touchdown uh for Denver uh Cortland Sutton led the way eight receptions um for 89 yards and then Melvin Gordon at running back five for 29 so coming out of that let's talk injuries Standout left tackle Trent Williams is out for at least a month with a high ankle sprain. Colton McKivitz is going to get get the start. He came in in relief of Jalen Moore, who came in when Williams went out and just had an awful series. McKivitz is dealing with an ankle injury also, but I guess an injured McKivitz is better than a healthy Moore. And linebacker Aziz Al-Shire is going to be out for two months with a knee injury, similar to what Elijah Mitchell experienced. In the opener so what went right it wasn't much other than the td drive that san francisco had there the offense was crisp but there was a good run pass ratio mixing up plays the defense played lights out except for the last drive and you can tell that that was coming all game long that russell wilson just needed one drive and he got it and cashed in Uh, Hufanga at safety was great again. Um, Jackson, the rookie defensive end. Drake Jackson recorded his first career sack. And basically everything else went wrong. Um, The offense was bad. uh, Seattle, Denver's offense wasn't much better. I think the takeaway for this game, and we're going to talk more about offensive philosophy, but what Kyle Shanahan saw from Russell Wilson is what Trey Lance should be. It's what Steve Young was, and Kyle Shanahan grew up around the team in the 90s when his father Mike was the offensive coordinator. There were no designed runs for Steve Young. He scrambled a lot, and and maybe sometimes more than the offensive coaches were hoping to, especially early in his career. He bailed the pocket pretty early, but getting into 93, 94, 95, he ran when he had to, when people were covered, or the pocket broke down, or he was given an opening. Not these designed runs. And maybe this is something that Shanahan will will file away um, for next year. The safety that Jimmy took, it was a bad safety. But let's not mistake that Jimmy's safety was the same as Detroit Lions quarterback legend Dan Orlovsky had uh, over 10 years ago, where he literally ran... Out of the end zone and down the end zone down the end zone white stripe in the back of the end zone for about three seconds. he had no idea where he was. This was bad awareness by Jimmy, but he he was trying to buy time. Kyle Shanahan equally shared blame saying that it was a bad play call. He does not he rarely calls long developing plays for Jimmy in general, and then he decides to do it when San Francisco has the ball at their own too. That was curious, to say the least. Jimmy was trying to buy time, backpedaled, half of his foot stepped out of bounds. What could have compounded matters was the fact that when he did actually throw the ball, it I believe went to Jeff Wilson, who bobbled it. It was intercepted uh, by Bradley Chubb, and it would have been a pick-six touchdown. So thankful for the safety there. and made the game uh, 10-5 at the time, so San Francisco was still in the lead. But, but there needs to be situational awareness. There needs to be field and pocket awareness, which we know kind of Jimmy struggles with, but but Shanahan did him no favors uh, with the play selection. The running backs for San Francisco, 82 yards total. I talked about last week that they have to run for 125 yards, if not 150 yards to win the game. They ran for six y- 6.3 yards per carry, the running backs. So it it was there. Kyle did not stick with it nearly enough. Jeff Wilson had 12 carries. Jordan Mason had one carry. Plus, Debo Samuel had five for for six yards. So, 88 yards total versus Denver had 33 rushes for 101 yards. A little over three yards a carry. But there was a commitment to the run. So, you had to defend it. So, when Russell Wilson was performing play action, which wasn't all that often... One begets the other. If you're not running the ball, play action doesn't mean anything, and San Francisco is running the ball well. The carry split needs to be more even. You cannot give Wilson or any running back on this roster in the neighborhood of 20 carries per game. The fact that Mason had one for seven yards is ridiculous. If you're active on the roster, the coaches should trust you to play. And play more. On top of Jordan Mason, Marlon Mack was active. He didn't get any carries. And I think he's only been with the team for a little over a week, so I can understand that. Especially if Kyle is worried about picking up any, any blitzes, any sort of pass protection. But to me, so what? Put them in there to run the ball. Put Jeff Wilson in there if it's a passing situation. At some point, well, Nathaniel Hackett isn't a great coach for the Broncos, but their defensive coordinator might catch on, but you can't have a 12-1 to running back carry split. Not when you come in saying you want to run the ball at least 30 times a game. 35 or 40 is ideal. That's a lot to me, but that's what Kyle wants to do. You cannot have your backup running back or your number two running back running back, not wide back, not Debo, run the ball once. And Kyle Shanahan came out this week and said, you know, the running game with Debo Samuel is not fooling any anyone anymore. Oh, no kidding. I've been saying this for about a month. It's not fooling anyone because when you put Debo back there, Kyle, he gets the ball. There is no deception. There is no play action. If you want to use Debo as a weapon or either even as a decoy, you need to give the defenses some doubt whether or not Debo is going to get the ball. There is no doubt. I think they even during the broadcast, they were calling it, I don't know if it was a red alert or, or 19 red alert for Debo's number, but defenses know when Debo's back there, he's probably getting the ball. You can work him into the running game, whether now it's more wide receiver reverses or jet sweeps, and you can line him up back there, fake it to him, or don't even fake it to him, just let him run um, a little out pattern, some sort of a of an in and out route that the running backs like to run and you can throw it to him you can get him he's your one of your best offensive weapons him and george kittle and brandon Ayuk is developing nicely as well you can find more ways to get him the ball that involve near the line of scrimmage they run bubble screens wide receiver screens quite a bit also make someone cover debo and they did that once uh where Debo's in the backfield, he was lined up on a linebacker, Jimmy threw the ball down the sidelines, it was underthrown a little bit, but that's okay, you know why? Because we've seen Jimmy miss that pass a handful of times in the past, and that's a pass that Trey Lance missed to Ross Dwelly last week, so it was completed. If he hits him in stride, it's a touchdown, I get it. I'll say, I don't want to say baby steps, but I'll take the completion over a bad throw, but use that more, there needs to be more variety of... If you're going to keep lining Debo Samuel up in the backfield. Now, I know there was a, a lot made this week, or at least in one press conference, of whether Jimmy was ready or not this game. He was thrust into the Seattle game. He had no choice. And Seattle is a bad team. Their defense is bad. Uh, Lance accounted for basically six points the first two field goals, and Jimmy you know, accounted for, for 21 to get to 27. Um, but Seattle's a bad team. Denver has a good defense. This was a defensive slugfest. It's ugly. It was ugly unless you like to watch de- defense and not a lot of people um, do. But remember, Jimmy had no OTAs, no training camp, no preseason games. He was practicing by himself for the two two or three plus months as he was trying to get his shoulder right. And as San Francisco was trying to trade him. Another, every week of practice is going to benefit Jimmy and the offense. Kyle has a... Adjusted the 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 game plan somewhat from a Trey Lance game plan to he has to now dial it back to what Jimmy can do. And I'm going to talk about that, why why they're not synonymous. But Jimmy said he has to get into game shape, which I believe to a certain degree, and I'm sure the altitude in Denver didn't help. That's not an excuse, but those are variables that should be considered even slightly for all you Jimmy haters. Because again, what's the option? It's not Brock. Purdy, and it's unfortunate Lance got hurt, but this is why they signed Jimmy. They're 1-2, and the season's not over, and they have a very winnable game against the Rams this upcoming week, and no one in the West is running away with it. Seattle's not a good team. Arizona has started their disappointing swoon now instead of waiting for the the last half of the season, and the Rams are not nearly as good as they were um, last year. Let's go back to Kyle Shanahan, though, and Trust. I open the show up saying that they need to free Jimmy, and I believe that. I think they need to open up the offense. What does that mean? That means installing the same offense that they have for Trey Lance minus the runs. It could be the same playbook. Um, The fact that there's no trust is killing the offense overall. Elijah Mitchell gets hurt. Kyle Shanahan only trusts Jeff Wilson Jr. as a running back. Didn't trust Tyrion David Price the first game. Got more carries the second game. Then he got hurt. But he's not trusting He's not trusting uh, Jordan Mason. He's not trusting Danny Gray. A third-round pick is not getting the playing time that he should or the looks that he should. I know Jawan Jennings is the big slot receiver, and Kyle Shanahan likes that. His hands are not that good, and he is slow. In fact, he is slower at his age than I was at his age. I, I can promise you that. And he's an NFL player and he has no trust in any other tight end. If it's not George Kittle, the tight ends do not make an impact for someone who is an offensive genius. I don't understand how he cannot get two or three tight ends involved or four when Tyler Croft was healthy. Even though they may only have three active on game days, the way Baltimore does or other teams can be multiple at the tight end position. Stop being so rigid in terms of who you think your playmakers are. Yes, you have stars and starters and backups for a reason, but they made your roster for a reason also, these backups. And I think Ross a lot of people say he may have the best hands on the team. Use him. Yes, he's not a blocker, but he could be another offensive weapon. Uh, Werner is your third tight end. He is your blocker, but I refuse to believe anybody who's been playing football for more than half their life can't catch a pass. Put him out there. If nothing else, people have to cover them. You can start sending four or five into the pattern versus usually just the three that you do, whether it's two receivers and a tight end kittle and maybe a running back leaks out. There needs to be a little bit more trust, and opening up the playbook for Jimmy is going to mean that you're going to trust Jimmy, and if you're opening up to me that means you're putting more receiving weapons on the field and you're trusting players that are backups to make a play. Um how innovative is is Kyle Shanahan really? It took him 3 or 4 years into his tenure as a head coach to realize, "Hey, I need a mobile quarterback." Well, guess what? He had Colin Kaepernick back in 2017 when he and John Lynch were hired. Now, I know that there was the whole kneeling, social justice stuff, that entirely too too many people bent out of shape and took it for what it was not. And he could have had Kaepernick on that team. Kaepernick actually um, declined to re-sign with him, and, and San Francisco released him, but, but Kaepernick would have came back and played. Let's not mistake that. Instead, who does Kyle Shanahan opt for? Brian Hoyer, garbage, And they drafted C.J. Beathard in the third round. Garbage. Immobile passers that I guess Shanahan thought he could turn into a robot to deliver his offense. Well, remember, Brian Brian Hoyer lost, I think, the first seven or eight games of that season until Beathard came in, won a game, and then they traded for Jimmy because they saw, well, none of these two are the answer, and he won the last five games of the season. Meanwhile, Shanahan was waiting for... Um, Kirk Cousins to become a free agent but it's just like in the NBA uh, being in the Northeast as a Nick fan's well the se- you know the off season of 2023 2024 all these players are going to become free agents in theory more than likely they're going to get re-signed by the team they're playing with and Kirk Cousins did you can't wait for a player which is why they traded for Jimmy and Jimmy was a clear upgrade over Hoyer and Bethard they they obviously had um, Nick Mullins on the team also, but how much how much do you want to fault him or whatnot? He was an undrafted free agent. How much can you expect from him? And in some of his starts, he played he he well outplayed his his non draft position. Right, he was undrafted, so I'm not going to give Kyle like oh you found a somewhat of a gem as an undrafted free agent. That was luck. Much like it was luck that he found Matt Breida. Jordan Mason, Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round. I don't think they're finding gems. They are just luckily hitting on late on late draft picks. Even George Kittle, fifth round tight end. I mean, a lot of other teams passed on him too, the first four rounds. So I'm not giving Shanahan as an offensive wizard credit. Because to me, it seems like he's had more misses than he had hits. Remember, he drafted Brandon Ayuk instead of Justin Jefferson on the Vikings could have had, and and would, maybe Justin Jefferson doesn't look like who he is if he's on San Fran with, with the type of play calling and a different quarterback, but you could have had the, the superior receiver, and you did not. You did not take him. So we've all seen conservative Jimmy, right? Let's, let's call it that. And I think Jimmy plays scared. I think he played scared against Denver because Denver was getting to him. The interior of the offensive line is not good. He's not mobile, so he's under siege more than a normal quarterback is. But I think it's time for gunslinger Jimmy. I I, I really do. Teams understand what, I don't even know if it's what Jimmy likes to do, and we'll get into that in a second, but it's what Kyle wants to do. I think running the short ends, everything is between the hash marks, so between the numbers on the field, and within 10 to 15 yards, say even 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. People are jumping that. They know it. The pass that he threw to Debo Samuel, he should not have thrown, but two defenders, a corner, a nickel corner, Quan Williams, former Niner, and Justin Griffin, who was another former Niner, um, broke up the pass, and Griffin wound up you know, intercepting it for, for Denver. Last year, there was discussion about Jimmy sees the field better in shotgun. If you're going to put a quarterback in shotgun, one, that has an effect on the running game, right? Because running out of shotgun... Theoretically, is more difficult than running from under center. The, um, but if you're if you're playing in shotgun, to me, you should spread the field more. There should be more three wide receivers on the field, four wide receivers on the field. Get Danny Gray on the field or Ray Ray McLeod for more speed. I would have those two on the field. Take Joan Jennings off. Take Kyle Uchitel off. You have Kittle, Debo, Brandon Ayuk, uh, Ray Ray McLeod, and Danny Gray. I'm cool with that. And let Jimmy make a quick read, or whether it's quick or not, but stretch the field. Make teams defend every uh, every blade of grass on the field. Take more shots downfield. I've seen some these last two games, but it's time for more. And people may not agree with this statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. In Trey Lance's limited experience, There has not been a throw that Trey Lance has made that Jimmy Garoppolo cannot make. Everybody talks about Jimmy's quick release, which is a great asset, and they talk about his arm talent. By arm talent, they're not talking about how handsome his arm is or his bicep. Jimmy can spin it. He can throw it. Now, does he have an arm like Mahomes or Josh Allen or Brett Favre? No. But we've seen... Remember the Super Bowl when he overthrew Emmanuel Sanders against the Chiefs? That ball was 55 yards in the air. Jimmy can make the throws that I've seen Trey Lance make. If you and he's Trey, Trey Lance wasn't throwing 25 yard outs into a tight window. He was throwing seven-step play action crossing patterns 30 35 yards downfield. I can make that throw, and I'm 5'10", 175. You better bet that Jimmy Garoppolo, as a professional quarterback, can make that. We are not talking about 60-yard Josh Allen bombs every other play. We're talking pushing the ball 20, 25, 30, 35 yards downfield, throws that Jimmy can make, and throws and plays that Kyle can scheme open. So it's time to free Jimmy. If he throws an interception, he throws an interception. I think we know by now that Jimmy's good for like around one per game. But I'd rather see an interception while they're pushing the ball downfield versus Jimmy forcing something into a tight window because it's the in or the slant or the short out or whatever that Kyle is calling. Open it up and trust your quarterback. He is a professional quarterback. He may not be a top 10 quarterback, but he is one of... 32 on the planet, that's good enough to start for an NFL team. So treat him like one. And Jimmy actually mentioned that in an interview this week. I forget what the question was. Coming off of Seattle, I think someone asked, well, does it feel like you were taking more more shots downfield? I'm making that up, but it was something like that. Here's the quote from Jimmy, whatever his response was to that question. Quote, I love doing that stuff. In 2017, there was a freedom... Where me, the receivers, tight ends, we had a good chemistry going. The more freedom, freedom, again, you have as a quarterback, obviously you play better, you're more confident, and good things will happen. Said freedom twice. I don't know why that is, but remember too, when he was traded, he sat for about a month to learn the playbook, and then Kyle developed, I I guess based on practice, the playbook that he was comfortable doing. But remember too, when Bethard and Hoyer were quarterbacking, and I'm remembering Bethard more, even though it was a limited sample size, he was throwing the ball downfield. So if Jimmy feels like, and in 2017, we're going to go over the games. Um, if he felt like he had more shots to throw the ball downfield in 2017, then go to your coach. And I know Jimmy doesn't like to ruffle feathers, but I hope this quote maybe has something click in Shanahan's mind that he wants to open it up more. He wants to play that way. He wants to throw the ball downfield. And I think even for myself, and I had to go back and watch highlights and look at the stats from the five games that Jimmy started, all wins, by the way, two of which were against, um, three of which were against 500 or better teams. You, rom- I think a lot of people romanticize about how good Jimmy was, or maybe overestimates it. But let's just kind of go, let's go through it. Game one was against Chicago. 26 of 37, 293 and one interception. They ran the ball 30 times as a team. They won that game. Next week he was at Houston, 20 of 33, 334. One touchdown, one interception. They ran the ball 26 times as a team, win that game. At home for Tennessee, 31 of 43, 381. One touchdown, they ran the ball 22 times. At home for Jacksonville. Now, this is a good Jacksonville team and a good defense. Remember, that was the year they went to New England. Should have won the game against the Patriots in the AFC Championship, but they just crapped the bed in the second half. Guess who the offensive coordinator was? Nathaniel Hackett, head coach of the Denver Broncos. Jimmy was 21 of 30, 242, two touchdowns and an interception. They ran the ball 32 times. Last week of the season was against the Rams, 20 of 33, 292. Two touchdowns, two interceptions, and they ran the ball 28 times. So now I'm looking at the yardage. 293, 334, 381, 242, 292. The 242 Jacksonville game was, I think, a a, a remnant or a piece of the fact that Jacksonville was a really good defense. But that game, 20 of 33, I'm sorry, 21 of 30, 242, that's basically what Jimmy's been ever since. And I don't know why. So I can understand in terms of the number of throws, the yardage. Yes, he's going to throw an interception close to every game. But I can live with that if you're pushing the ball down the field. But throwing for 293, 381, 334, 292. Listening to this and watching the game. Forget the Denver game. That's an an outlier. Let's not jump on Jimmy for that. Because if you're going to jump on Jimmy, then jump on Russell Wilson just as much. Because Russell Wilson's a Hall of Fame quarterback who played like crap. Until the last drive, until he realized, and maybe he said, "Hey, Nathaniel Hackett, the hell with you! I know you want me to be a pocket passer, but I'm I'm going to do what I need to do to pick up first downs and move the ball." I don't know what the what the conversation is going to have to be with Jimmy and Kyle Shanahan. They have to meet in the middle. If Jimmy likes to play a little bit more gl- gunslinger and wide open football, that I know that's not what Kyle wants to do. But they have to meet in the middle a little bit and give the quarterback more. Here's the word, guys: freedom. That Jimmy said twice. To push the ball more. Now that Now 2017 team. He wasn't playing with a whole bunch of weapons. His running back was Carlos Hyde and Matt Breida, undrafted rookie, Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, Kendrick Bourne, Lewis Murphy, and Aldrick Robinson as your wide receivers. Right now, Goodwin had a pretty good year. Why? Because he was their speed receiver. He's an Olympic. He has Olympic type of speed. He had nearly 1,000 yards. Kittle was a rookie, had a decent season, but again, rookie, and Garrett Selick were your two tight ends. You're not talking about a stable of weapons, and what he's had the past couple years is much better than that. Whatever the 2017 playbook was, let's transport that this year. Why not? Why not? We know what... The typical Shanahan-Jimmy offensive playbook looks like. So whether it's some sort of melding of what, what Kyle would do for Lance, minus the runs, plus some stuff that Jimmy was comfortable with in 2017. Not to say that Jimmy's not comfortable throwing short. I think all quarterbacks are, and Jimmy has got a quick release. But teams are catching on. Time to do something different. And again, we go back to why not. Don't waste this defense. Do not waste this defense. And this is the age-old issue that coaches have. Can you remember the last time a team had a dominant defense and an explosive offense? It doesn't happen. Usually, you're really good at one and bad at the other. And usually, it's you have a dominant defense. Well, I'm going to play conservatively as the head coach or offensive coordinator because I don't want my offense to lose the game. Keep it close, minimize mistakes, and then Hope your offense does enough to win the game. That's generally the philosophy. I'm not saying it's Kyle Shanahan's, but that's the philosophy of your head coaches when you have a defense this good. That is number two in the league overall, number one against the pass by a large margin, and number four against the run. Offensively, right now, San Francisco is 24th overall, 29th passing. Again, got to open it up. Sixth rushing. They're rushing for even last game. It was bad. When you take the Denver game into consideration, they're still running for 150 yards a game. The run game will be there, and oh, by the way, it'll be even better if you can open up the running game. So whether it's Jimmy going to Kyle, Kyle coming to Jimmy, and saying, "Hey, I want you to throw the ball more downfield," people on Twitter and and uh, other social media th- sites are going to post a clip of the one play where Jimmy missed the throw. Guess what? If you watch every game in breakdown film of every game quarterbacks are going to miss open people every play I'm sorry every game multiple times a game probably multiple times a quarter it's nothing new so I put no value in saying well look at this play here Jimmy missed a what it happens but I want to see numerically more consistent shot more consistent routes run drawn up and shots taken by Jimmy downfield. Now, I'll get off my pedestal for a second, and let's just go back and something that was revealed this week, again, for all you Jimmy haters or people that think he's crap, because he's not, it was revealed, I believe by Adam Schefter, that the Washington Commanders were going to trade two draft picks for Jimmy in the offseason, but Jimmy's shoulder surgery nixed it. He is not an upper echelon quarterback. He is an above average quarterback that was wanted until the surgery. Now, that doesn't say, like, well, so what? He was crap against Denver. Yeah, he was crap against Denver, and he was good against Seattle. That's the thing with Jimmy. You don't know which Jimmy that you're going to get, and that's unfortunate. But again, what is your option? It's not Brock Purdy as much as you want to say, well, he looked good in preseason, and I don't care. He, He can't play any worse than Jimmy. Yes, he can. He was the last pick in the draft for a reason, and I've watched some of his college tape, he has made, he made some ridiculously bone, too many bonehead running back, throwing the ball backwards over his head at Iowa state that they got to get that, that stupid stuff out of him. What he does offer is mobility and it's the mobility I want in a quarterback. It's not the Trey Lance. Let's run him into the, into the teeth of a defense stupidly, Kyle, it's, Things are breaking down, I'm going to buy time with my legs, and if there's an opening, I'm going to pick up the 3, 4, 5 yards instead of throwing it away or making a bad decision. Maybe next year Purdy will be an adequate backup quarterback. He's not there now, and he is not someone that you're going to bench Jimmy for. If Jimmy gets hurt, he comes in, but under no other circumstance should Brock Purdy see the field this year. And let's conclude the section with uh, the week four Monday night game primetime again, but I don't think this is going to be nearly as ugly as the Denver game or the Giants and, and Cowboys game this past Monday night for, for that matter. I'm going to start off with my prediction. I think the, the 49ers win this game 24-20. to 20. Now remember, they're 1-2. and two. If San Francisco wins this game, they're in first place in the NFC West. Tied with the Rams at 2-2, two two, but they will be first place because they have the tiebreaker. This is a winnable game. Seattle's one and two Arizona's one and two not good teams the Rams while you may think about the star power they are not they are an average team right now offensively they're behind San Francisco in total yards per game they're ahead of them in passing but you would expect that with Stafford and Cup versus versus Jimmy and they are 30th running the ball only 72 running yards rushing yards per game in San Francisco again top 4 uh number 4 defense against the pass, a rush number 1 against the pass. We'll see how they can hold up. And defensively, you're thinking about all the stars on that team, right? On the Rams, 17th overall, 23rd against the pass, they're giving up 252 yards a game. 10th against the rush, 93 yards, so that's where they're a little bit stronger but not fantastic. And points they're 20th, giving up 23 points a game. This is a gotta-have-it game for San Francisco. This is not a playoff game, which helps, because San Francisco, historically, in the regular season, plays really well against the Rams. The one thing that I think, or there's going to be a couple things I think Kyle's going to have to do a little bit differently with the offense, but the Rams had success in the NFC Championship game playing five down linemen and took away the run. I'm sure the Rams are going to do that again. I don't think that's going to be their base defense, but with the way that the offensive line the interior has somewhat struggled Kyle has to adjust for that that probably does not mean spreading the spreading the field but they're going to have to find ways to to generate um a running game if the rams are going to stack the box right off the jump with with five defensive five defensive linemen again i think san francisco wins 24-20 They match up well against the Rams. The Rams are not the team that they were last year, and I don't think this is going to be a get-right game for the Rams. I think the Rams will look maybe better than they have in previous games, uh, and they probably will attempt to get the running game going a little bit more so. But I think San Francisco right now, too strong defensively, and and D'Amico Ryans, Traverius Ward, uh, Emmanuel Mosley at corner, Ryans being the defensive coordinator, find a way to take Cup away. The Rams are a Cooper Cup injury away from being a 6 and 11 team. They cannot generate offense without him. Plus number 3 receiver Van Jefferson's been on, is on IR. He's not going to play. Um Robinson, the the receiver that they picked up from the Bears that they they signed hasn't been performing. The the Niners can control I think the Rams offensively. They just need to be more explosive on offense themselves to really put their foot on the throat of the Rams if they get them down 7 or 10 points and win this game. So again, 24-20 San Francisco. This is not a homer pick. Remember, I picked Denver to win last week, 23-20. to I was way off on the total points. I don't think I'm going to be too off here, at least, God, I hope not, because I, I can't stomach one another loss and two another ugly game. Nobody wants to watch that in prime time. So I think San Francisco gets right. Beats the Rams 2-2 two and, two and leading the NFC West going into a stretch where then they're at the Falcons, at the Panthers. Very winnable games. They, they very easily could be 4-2 and two in their next three games. So let's pause there. Um, we're going to be coming back with uh, our plus section and some more uh, great discussion. It's plus time. All right, let's start out talking about three games uh this past weekend and Monday night that I that I found interesting. First, Miami beating Buffalo 21 to 19 and this was so heavily one-sided in Buffalo's favor. It's shocking that they lost this game. So, yardage 497 to 212, first downs 31 to 15, time of possession, Buffalo had 20 minutes more. They did have one turnover and plays Buffalo ran 90 which is an unheard of amount in a in a game Miami 39 so what happens this game so Tua gets hurt has a concussion maybe maybe not maybe it's a back injury he comes back in the NFL is looking into that to see if if the the Dolphins um uh overstepped any sort of protocol uh Buffalo just did not take advantage of opportunities. And, and Miami was bend, but don't break. I mean, you let up 497 yards, you're bending a whole lot. You're Gumby. But they did not break. They stopped Buffalo on um, fourth down a few times, especially late in the game. Um, when it was 21-17, uh, to 17, they stopped uh, Buffalo on fourth down from the two-yard line. That next drive, Miami doesn't go anywhere. And that's, if you hadn't seen it again, a play much worse than Jimmy Garoppolo's safety. The punter punting it off of his own player's backside from deep in his own end zone for a safety, which makes it 21 to, 9, 21 to 19. Buffalo gets the ball back, could not get into field goal range as time expires and Miami wins by two. So Josh Allen, not his fault, 42 of 63, 400 yards. Two touchdowns, ran the ball eight times for 47 yards. Buffalo needs balance. Like, we know that they can throw the ball around the lot. We know that Josh Allen is a threat with his legs. He's, he's a threat to his own health, too, That the way that he's he's running and not getting down. But Buffalo needs to be a more balanced team. There was only 13 carries by running backs for the Bills. Now, Miami's running backs only had 14, but then again, they didn't have the ball that much. They only have 39 plays, and 14 of those were runs to the running back. Miami does enough. They get the win. A surprising 3-0, uh, and Buffalo in second place at, at 2-1. Second surprising game, uh, what Jacksonville did in, in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Don't look now, but the Jags are in first place in the AFC South, and this is a division that is very winnable for them. Tennessee does not look good. The Colts don't look good, and the Texans will probably never look good total yards jacksonville 413 to 312 for the chargers the chargers did have two turnovers first downs jacksonville wins there again 25 to 16 and the jaguars had a plus 17 minute time of possession advantage now going into the game the chargers did not have star receiver keenan allen uh midway through the game early in the game um Left tackle ratio on Slater uh, left with an injury, and he's actually done for the year, which is a big blow to them. But neither one of those injuries accounts for a 28-point loss. Trevor Lawrence, um, last year's number one pick. Coming out party game, 28 of 39, 262 and three touchdowns. And Justin Herbert for the Chargers did not play poorly. 25 of 45, 297 a touchdown and an interception. The Jaguars control the game on the ground, especially comparatively um, between their two-headed monster of Robinson, who went 17 for 100 and a touchdown, and Travis Etienne, 13 for 45. The Chargers, with um, Austin Eckler leading the way. Actually, he, he didn't lead the way. He didn't have the most carries on the team. But as a team, 12 rushes for 26 yards. Not going to cut it. Now, this is a Jacksonville team that played well on the offensive line. They played well on the defensive line, and those are things that travel, especially in cold weather once we get into cold weather games, and hopefully the Jaguars have some meaningful um, descent November and December games. But when you look at their weapons, you know they're, they're good. They're adequate. They're not great at receivers. Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, and Christian Kirk, who they gave entirely too much money to in the offseason. That totally blew up the wide receiver market. And their tight ends are Agnew and Evan Ingram from the Giants, who is more, you know, potential than production at this point in their career. But they're making it work. So hats off to Doug Peterson coming in and actually being an adult head coach after the Urban Meyer disaster. Jaguars 2-1 uh, in the AFC South. And the Monday night game uh, between the Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants, Dallas wins that game 23-16. to 16. Listen, The Giants are a fraud 2-0 team. They are not, even though they're above 500 and you take wins however you can get them, they are not a good football team. And these stats were relatively even. Um, Dallas had five more minutes of time of possession. The Giants had one turnover, which was a pick by Daniel Jones. Um... Cooper Rush went 21 of 31, 215 yards and one touchdown. Very economical. Daniel Jones, 20 of 37. So just over 50%, 196 yards and one interception, a costly interception. And he did run the ball, you know, nine times for 79 yards, over eight yards a carry. Um, The Giants, like I said, they were a bad 2-0 team. They beat Tennessee, who's 1-2. They beat Carolina, who's 1-2. And both of those teams picked up their first win this past week in week three. Um This is who the Giants are now, maybe as the season wears on and they get more comfortable in Brian Dayball's offense. Um, They could be maybe a little bit more explosive. Unfortunately, Sterling Shepard, who's really been bit by the injury bug the past couple of years, you got to feel bad for him, tore his ACL, he's done for the year. Um, Kenny Galladay couldn't get on the field for the first two games, was on the field, dropping passes. He's a complete waste of money. Um you know but but don't look now you know Dallas in first place I'm sorry second place Philadelphia's 3 and 0 they have Washington this week week 4 at home in Dallas every win that Cooper Rush gets it buys uh Dak Prescott time to get his thumb right so if they win again in week 4 and go to 3 and 1 if Dak's not quite ready in week 5 which I don't think he's going to be um it's okay and I don't see Dallas losing this game Washington just does not does not look good. So, and then we'll get into, into week three picks at the end of this segment. But now let's talk about, and I tease it at the open, why, and this may not be popular with all you Yankee fans out there, but I really don't care. Um, Aaron Judge, center fielder for the New York Yankees, he's having a great season, right? He's at 60 home runs as of this recording. He will break Roger Maris's 61 mark. I know that's not the official home run mark based on what you know Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Barry Bonds did 20, 20 plus years ago. Um, but Roger Maris at least was a Yankee, so he uh Aaron Judge will have the, the Yankee record um with a couple weeks to go in the season. Aaron Judge hit 60 home runs faster than Babe Ruth did, and that and Ruth was. In an abbreviated, not an abbreviated season, but a short, a shorter season, I think it was 154 games um, versus the 162 that we had now. But Judge got to 60 faster than Babe Ruth did. But I do think, and he's Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP, whether I agree with it or other people agree with it or not. He is aided by the fact that he plays for the New York Yankees. Do not mistake your yourself at all, and he, the fact that he's on a first place team. MVPs generally do not come. From garbage teams in any sport now he is having again a very good season but let's take a look at I mean beyond a very good season but let's take a look at other other players in other sports that I think have benefited from the jersey they wore and I'm going to start actually out with Troy Aikman yes three-time Super Bowl winner on a stacked Dallas team he played for two a se- uh, twelve seasons. Excuse me. He was the MVP of Super of the nineteen ninety two Super Bowl. He won no regular season MVPs, and he wasn't even close to sniffing one. Troy Aikman had one season, one where he threw more than twenty touchdowns. He never threw for more than thirty five hundred yards. Overall. In his career, 165 touchdowns, 141 interceptions, mediocre, and a mediocre passer rating of 81.6. Now, this was the early to mid to late night. Well, he, yeah, he retired, I think, in 2000, 2001. So it's not like he was playing in an era where the forward pass was just invented. They had a great offensive line, a Hall of Fame running back in Troy Aikman, but they, I'm sorry, in Emmitt Smith. But they also had Michael Irvin, Alvin Harper at receiver, and Jay Novacek at tight end. They had weapons. And Jimmy Johnson's philosophy, and later Barry Switzer, was run the ball, play good defense. You know, Troy Aikman wasn't a quarterback that was kind of throwing it around the lot. Like, his, his comparable to me is Brad Johnson. Longtime quarterback um, for the Minnesota Vikings. Won a Super Bowl for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not going to compare those, those two. Aikman is in the Hall of Fame because his team won three Super Bowls. To me, he is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. You can write the history of the NFL without Troy Aikman. He's a very serviceable quarterback for what um, Jimmy Johnson and Chan Gailey, who was the offensive coordinator, what they wanted to do, but not a superstar. When you think of Hall of Fame, you're thinking of like maybe a top three quarterback. In, in the league in any given year. Troy Aikman was never that, but he was the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, which, carry, which carries a lot of cachet. Now, another player, now let's go New York, but we'll stay football. Joe Namath played 13 seasons. His overall record, 12 seasons with the Jets, one season with the Rams, 62, 63, and four. He is a losing quarterback. Now, it sounds harsh but he is a below 500 quarterback overall. That's a losing quarterback. Compounded by in the course of, over the course of his career, 173 touchdowns, 220 interceptions, 50% completion rate for his career, a 65.5 rating. Now, he went to the playoffs only 2 years in his 13-year career. The first year they won the, they won the Super Bowl now this is the only reason why Joe Namath is in the Hall of Fame because he played in New York and he guaranteed a Super Bowl against the coach uh, against the Colts because he was brash and outspoken and he did pantyhose ads he was more style than substance that should not mean to me that you should be making it to the Hall of Fame But his Super Bowl against the Colts, he was serviceable. 17 of 28, 206 yards, did not throw a touchdown in that game. His team won because they played great defense. They held the Colts to um, seven points. But the Jets for a team ran for 142 yards and a touchdown. The next year, they made the playoffs again, lost in the first round against the Chiefs. Namath was 14 of 40, 169 and three interceptions. Let that sink in. But again, Hall of Fame, because he was outspoken, guaranteed a win. Now, I don't know, again, I would have to look at the clip to see if someone asked him, do you think that we're going to win? What is he going to say? No. And if that was the case, he he backs himself into a corner and saying, "Uh, yeah, we're going to win the game. Now, he's a confident guy, Broadway Joe, all that stuff. That's great. But this is where I'm at with Aaron Judge. Aikman, quarterback for the Cowboys. I think it's overblown what he did in the league. Troy eight, uh, Joe Namath, Jets, guaranteed victory, won a Super Bowl, losing quarterback, horrible touchdown to interception ratio, bad completion percentage overall, did not generally play well in the playoffs, I, but they're romanticized. And I'm not saying we're romanticizing what Aaron Judge is doing. He's having a great year. He should be getting all the kudos that he is getting. But if he was doing this in Seattle would anyone care? If he was as much. If he was doing this for the Arizona Diamondbacks, would anyone care? If he was doing this for the Miami Marlins, would anyone care? No. Even the the, the Padres, I mean, they're a borderline playoff team. It would not get as much recognition as it as he does because he's playing for the New York Yankees. That's that's the first thing. The stats are great. 548 at bats as of this recording. A 314 batting average, 128 RBIs, 60 home runs, has struck out 167 times, and his on-base percentage is on base 425. Again, really, really good season. And is it MVP-worthy? Yes. But to me, Shohei Otani, pitcher and batter for the Angels, should be the MVP. Now, Comparable number of at-bats, because again, he, he he doesn't just bat when he pitches, he's the DH. 549 at-bats, 271 batting average, 93 RBIs, 34 home runs, and he hit 46 last year. He hit more home runs last year than Aaron Judge did. Less strikeouts, 149, and an on-base percentage of 357. Now... Um, now that's batting. Now let's go to pitching. He's pitched 26 games. He has a 14 and 8 record, a 2.47 ERA, and 203 strikeouts. If Otani was on the Yankees, he would he would be tied for the most wins as a starting pitcher, and he would already have the lowest ERA. His ERA right now is more than one full run behind the Yankees, number one and number two starters. That includes their big prize, Garrett Cole, who obviously can't pitch as well without any sort of spider tack, sticky substance. All right, now there's another stat. I'm not trying to convince you to change your mind if you're a Yankee fan or think that Judge is is deserving of of the MVP. He is, but there's another stat called wins above replacement, which means if you take this player out and put in an average player at their position. So for Judge, you put in a Major League Baseball average player. Judge is worth nearly ten wins above that re- replacement player, nine point nine six. Shohei Otani is nine point two. So now that means now you're, but you're, you again. Now this is two different positions. That if you replace him with an average pitcher and an average designated hitter, you're getting over nine wins more through the the course of the season up to now. Now, what does that mean? If you look at the teams, if you were to swap them, it means the teams are going to be in exactly the same spot. The Yankees are still going to be in first place. The Angels are still going to be a bad team. But can you imagine if you had Shohei Otani in New York how crazy it would be, how over the moon the media would be with him to have a pitcher who would have an under two and a half ERA and probably even better given the team that he would have around him. And how, and the batting, the 30 plus home runs, the, the 270 plus batting average, almost 100 RBIs. And listen, would Judge do what he would do in, 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 uh, for the angels. I don't know. He would still have Mike Trout around him, but if he had this exact line, would he be the front runner for MVP in California? I don't think so. So you have to, you have to factor the Yankee element into this because it is a big one. The New York biggest market pinstripes element. But also remember what happened about a decade ago in New York with Lynn Sanity. Remember that, Knicks fans, where Jeremy Lynn had literally a good month of February and everybody went nuts. New York Media, Sports Center, and, and Jeremy Lynn was having great games, you know, for the Knicks, but it was a month. Imagine if Shohei Otani is doing this over the course of a season in the largest media market in the world. A a true two-way player. He's not skipping starts. He's going to be pitching 27 or 28 games when it's all said and done. And his record would be better because some of those no decisions uh, would be wins or some of those losses would be wins with the Yankees lineup instead of the Angels lineup. Now, the other piece of this is, is, you know, Judge has the potential to win the Triple Crown, which means in the American or National League, if you have the highest batting average, most home runs, and most RBIs, you win the Triple Crown. All right, and and that's an achievement. But we saw this 10 years ago. This isn't like a a once-in-a-generation thing. Miguel Cabrera of the Tigers in 2012 hit 330, 44 home runs, 139 RBIs, won the Triple Crown. Okay, so we saw that. Now, this year, let's not also disregard the fact of how much batting averages are watered down. So the fact that um, judges hitting 314 good for him because a couple months ago he was hitting like in the 290s or high 280s so kudos to him for raising his batting average above you know 310 to 314 but today there are only 11 players in major league baseball batting over 300 now let's compare in 2000 so we're going to go back five years to 2017 and and now another five years 2012 so we're going back five and ten years there were 25 players hitting over 300. In 2005, there were 40 players. In 2002, there were 35 players. In 2000 and 1995, now we're getting in the years where you had, you know, good batters like a Tony Gwynn, where where are those batters nowadays? They don't exist. In 2000 and 1995, there were 50 players in the league that hit over 300. So if you wanna, you wanna give kudos for like, hey, you're batting 314. Now that's great. Usually a power hit or a slugger doesn't hit over 300, but Maguire did, Sosa did, Bonds did, and yeah, let's get let's get into that talk about the steroids, et cetera. The steroids didn't help them make contact with the ball. It just helped them drive it farther and out of the park. But we've also seen 60 plus home runs before, right? We've seen it. Bonds hit 73 in 2001. McGuire, 98 and 99. He hit 70 and 65 respectively. Sosa hit 66 and 98, 64 in 2001, and 63 and 99. Yes, I get it. Juiced, whatever. But we've seen 60 plus home runs. And we've also seen close to 60. Five years ago, Giancarlo Stanton, now a Yankee, hit 59. In 2006, Ryan Howard hit 58. Let's not... Talk about how unique of an accomplishment of what he's doing. He's going to break Roger Maris' New York Yankees 61 home run record. That is a big deal. He's having a great season. He's worthy of an MVP-type caliber season. But when you look at what Shohei Otani has done, you have to go back a 100 years, a century, to Babe Ruth to find a comparable... That is something that... I don't know how many people are alive that can say they actually saw that. Maybe they didn't even see it because TV wasn't even invented. But that's... It is a a multi-generational century going back in time thing that Otani is doing. And it's unfortunate that he doesn't play... That he plays for the Angels because if he plays for the Mets or the Cubs... Well, maybe not the Cubs or or the Red Sox because they're having bad seasons. But say if Otani was a Met you better believe that it will be really neck and neck in terms of who the MVP is going to be. It's going to be Judge. Again, great season. He is a Yankee. And Otani is buried on a bad Angels team. But I do say, and if you want to disagree with me, you can, because it doesn't matter because I'm not going to hear it because this is a podcast. I'm not taking calls. But if you honestly think if you swap their uniforms and Judge would still be the MVP, you are wildly misinformed or you're a Yankee homer, or you're just someone that does not want to think about this thing rationally and logically because this is a once in a hundred years season that Otani is having. And maybe not even a hundred years. He did it last year. He is a once in a hundred years player, player, not even season. We have not seen the likes of Shohei Otani since Babe Ruth. That is a fact. All right, let's conclude uh, the podcast for this week by making uh, picks for the week four NFL slate of games. Last week, had a pretty good week. Went 11-5 and to uh, boost my overall record to 28-19-1. So hopefully the arrow is still pointing up. So let's start with the Thursday night game on Amazon, Miami at Cincinnati. I actually like Cincinnati here. I don't think one game against the Jets is a completely get-right game because they are the Jets. But I think Cincinnati at home with the weapons that they have, if this turns into a track meet, they can run with with the Dolphins. And I think two things, coming off of a really emotional game against Buffalo, a division game, hard-fought game, Tua, no matter what happens, he's banged up. And if it's not his head, it's his back. Um, And he has in an interview saying that it sounds like he's going to play, but he's having some... Some maybe difficulty moving or, or turning. I think the back may affect him somewhat. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to limit him totally, but I think that the Bengals will will do enough establishing running on the ga- on the ground with Mixon. And I think Miami is a team that likes to bring a lot of pressure. And I think between um, Tyler Boyd. Chase and T. Higgins, I think um, Joe Burrow can exploit that and beat that. So give me the Bengals on Thursday. Sunday starting at actually 9.30 Eastern, we have a London game, our first international game. Minnesota at New Orleans. Give me the Vikings. The Vikings had to really fight and scrap back against the very game Detroit Lions team last week to get the win. New Orleans does not look good. Um, Who'd have thought losing Sean Payton would actually adversely affect the offense? everybody, but I think people just are are a little blind to how much of an impact offensive coaches have on their team. Even the defense for New Orleans did not look great against a loss to the Panthers, so give me uh, Minnesota. Cleveland at Atlanta. Um, I actually like Atlanta here. They showed some some spunk at Seattle, and they actually have a pretty dynamic offense um, led by Marcus Mariota. Um, Cleveland... uh, you know, I, I, they'll establish they'll establish the run with with Chubb and Hunt, and I think Brissette will play an economical game. But for just a gut instinct, give me Atlanta starting off for one o'clock slate. Washington at Dallas. Carson Wentz does not look good for the Commanders. They got totally manhandled by you know a, a good Eagles team, uh, but they just looked putrid. And I think Cooper Rush doing enough um, at quarterback, and and the defense has been lights out, and they're they're going to get to. Wentz at least, you know, four or five times, if not more, give me Dallas at home. Seattle at Detroit, again, Detroit game. Um, I think, you know, you'll you'll still get a very efficient game out of um, quarterback Geno Smith for the Seahawks. Seattle cannot get anything going on the ground. Detroit's looked uh, rather explosive. I think they're top three in the league in points, which is humorous given Jared Goff's the quarterback. I think Detroit gets the win at home. Tennessee at Indianapolis. That was the get right game for the Colts. Um, against the chiefs winning at home, they get Tennessee, um, Tennessee got their first win of the week against not not great, uh, Raider team last week. I think the Colts do enough. I think they're finding their way. I think offensively and defensively, they're better than the Tennessee Titans bears at the giants battle of the two and run frauds. Um, I hate to say it. I like the giants, but only because they're at home. Um, Daniel Jones, I think at this point is a slightly better quarterback than Justin Fields for the bears. Although the although fields could make, you know, the big splash plays, um, David Montgomery is banged up for the bears at running back. Although Khalil Herbert, um, is going to, is going to get the start, had a great game last week against the Texans. Again, the bears beat the Texans 23 20 and they beat the Niners and it's not a sour grapes type of thing, uh, in a monsoon. Um, but I do think the giants get the win Jacksonville at the Eagles. I think this is going to be a pretty good game. I think Jacksonville was very... Um, has been very surprising thus far. I think they get somewhat of a reality check. I don't think the Eagles run them out of the building, but I think Philadelphia right now is more dynamic on offense and has a better defense um, than Jacksonville, and they'll get the win. Jets at Pittsburgh will probably be a sloppy, low-scoring, ugly game, Uh, but I will take Pittsburgh. I think they do enough. Again, this could be a 17-14 game, 14-10 type of affair. Uh, cause both teams actually do play good defense, but are offensively, um, deficient Buffalo at Baltimore. Um, you know, don't look now, but this could be where Buffalo, you know, hits a little bit of a losing, uh, streak. I think Jamar Lamar Jackson for, for the Ravens is playing lights out. Um, he's running the ball. Well, he's throwing the ball really well. And again, I don't want to say it was an emotional game for Buffalo, but how much does 90 plays really take out of an offense? Um, because Baltimore's home. Um, because I think Lamar Jackson's going to give them fits just like Josh Allen's going to give the Ravens fits. But I do think Baltimore wins a relatively high scoring affair in our last game at one o'clock, the chargers at, um, the Texans, even the way the chargers looked last week at home against Jacksonville. Um, I think they're just a more talented team than Houston is David Mills. Um, the quarterback for the Texans has not looked good to open up the season. They were hoping he was going to take a step forward. He has not. Give me the Chargers. And then the three, there's only three, four o'clock games this week. The first that will go over Arizona at Carolina. I think Arizona wins this game. I think Carolina is playing, you know, really good defense. I think they'll do their best to contain Kyler Murray. Um, But the Panthers, again, offensively challenged. I guess it's going to take some time for Baker Mayfield to really get familiar with the playbook and his receivers, although they do have weapons. Um, I think Arizona you know, wins this game, New England at green Bay, green Bay is going to win this game. Mac Jones is out high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for, he hasn't been declared out yet, but he's going to be out for several weeks. Um, green Bay gets the win there, Denver at Vegas. This has the potential to be an ugl- another ugly game. I think the Raiders win this game and finally get off the snide improving to one and three at some point, Russell Wilson and the Broncos are going to get right. It was not, even though they won the game it was not against the Niners They won in spite of of themselves versus because of of themselves and some of the mistakes. I mean, three turnovers, a fourth with the safety for San Francisco, and Denver still wins by a point. San Francisco doesn't turn the ball over. They they probably win that game by a touchdown. Kansas City at Tampa. Not sure where this is going to be played given uh, Hurricane, I think it's, is it Ian or Ivan? That's kind of rolling through Florida, and then it'll be rolling up the coast. Um, All things being equal, if they play this game in Tampa, Mike Evans is coming back off the one-game suspension. I think Chris Godwin should be healthy as well. Tampa's defense is playing really well. I did not like what I saw from the Chiefs in Indianapolis. I think Tampa and Tom Brady get another win against Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I went over the Monday night game uh, Rams at San Francisco. San Francisco winning 24-20. So that concludes our podcast for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. Hopefully you'll be back with us again next week where we talk 49 as usual we're going to be talking 49ers and a whole lot more uh enjoy the sports week have a great week uh talk to you again next week take care all